The following is a presentation of Booze Ball Radio. If it's too loud, you're too old. We cannot believe it. We just went, oh! <laughs> I was a good bar player. Okay. I was very vocal. Very vocal. I wanted to win. This is Todd Lafredo. You're listening to Foosball Radio. It's Foos Talk Live. Are you talking to me? Compelling and lively banter. Are you going to talk to us? Talking foosball. Foosball was how I measured my value as a man. You took that away. Players and fans, promoters and pros, unedited and raw. Talk, talk, talk. Living in the moment. We have a lot of important things to talk about. All while practicing social distancing. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. Let's get this thing started. Foos Talk. Live. Coming to you live from the Foosball Radio Studios, it's the 138th episode of Foos Talk Live. Hey there, I'm Tom Robinson, and I want to personally thank our Patreon pillars for their support of Foosball Radio and Foos Talk Live. Thanks to James Sparky Castillo, David Kala, Cameron Burroughs, Mike Green, Jimmy Love, Dwayne Stewart, Judy Schober, Jamie Kunst, Rob Cutler, Reed Rector, Clay Toomey, and Adam Gilson. Thank you. Your support brings continued and expanding content from Foosball Radio and Foos Talk Live as we cover the greatest sport on earth. Visit patreon.com forward slash foosball radio to find out how to become a Foosball Radio patron. Learn about the exclusive benefits we offer you. Foos Talk Live is brought to you by Original Leonhardt. The Leonhardt Tournament Model is the most popular foosball table at the ITSF World Cup. Designed and handcrafted in Germany, order online and have it delivered to your door. Visit www.original-leonhardt-usa.com and use promo code FOOSTALK to save 10% off your purchase price. Yep, it's episode 138 of Foos Talk Live, the countdown for the Foos Talk Live top 25 male singles foosball players on the U.S. tour continues tonight, and it's going to get tense as we get down to numbers 15 through 11. And of course, talking about the beautiful game of foosball is almost much, always much better uh, when we have someone uh, like Jim Stevens to talk to. Jim, the, the greatest play-by-play foosball announcer of all time. Greetings, Jim. Thank you, Tom. And hi, everybody. Happy holidays to everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Hanukkah. First night of Hanukkah tonight. Um, and looking forward to what should be a great 2023. And we're down to the final 15, of course, the male singles players, the top 25 male singles players on the American Foosball Tour. And the names you're going to hear tonight, folks, we're starting to get in to the biggies, to the big ones, the, the, the guys who uh, were more than just foosball, guys who really brought so much to the game and had so much success playing the game as well. So looking forward to tonight, Tom. It's going to be intense. There's no doubt about it. I have a feeling there might be a little bit of arguing going on because, of course, uh, uh, along with us tonight, Jim, we have uh, some other folks who've jumped in to also make their choices to this list. And, well, from what I understand, it's not all uh, in agreement. So Adam Gilson from uh, Ventura, California. Of course, Adam, uh, with a long history of of, uh, foosball in his family, has a lot of opinions. Right, Adam? I have so many opinions. Which so many I'm opinions. Prepared apparently to get pilloried for. I was here enjoying myself with my nice IPA I was going to have, and next You've thing I know, a... it's going to be uh, 
It's gonna. I need a flamethrower. <laughs> there's always going to be some controversy, and that's what makes this so interesting: is uh, different opinions, four different opinions in this case, yeah. and um, and you know, having to go through all the things we've talked about before in terms of era, in terms of different tables, in terms of length or shortness of career, etc., uh, makes it interesting. Makes for some lively discussion, and maybe some disagreement. We'll see. Sure. Did but, you? Uh, you know, and one of the things, one of the things that I will say, because I was going to have, a, I was going to say something else entirely in this moment, but. <laughs> But one of the things I will say is that I am very happy and open to being wrong oh. and admitting so, if that's the case. Well, I mean, the, the whole point of this list, maybe, as we uh, said from the very beginning, was discourse. So, okay. you know. Well, maybe you could pull, the, you know, take some time out to share that, that kind of that sentiment, of course, with our other host this evening, well, Mark Torres. I don't like him. Oh, Spoken you... like a true sociopath, Adam. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> what? That's the opposite of a sociopath, Mark. You gaslighter. Oh, I'm muting you. I love it. Well, look at me. I'm so full of compassion. I'm ready Anyways. to be wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. As long as I talk to my index finger and tells me the truth later, I'm amazing. <laughs> Whatever, bro. Why are you blurring out a white background, Mark? You call me a sociopath? <laughs> hey, Lodka. Hey, double Lodka. Let's just not go there. No, Whoa. this has been a lot of fun, man. Like, Counting down is a great thing, and it inspires all kinds of uh, memory, and we get opinions, and it's diversified. And my favorite thing is making stuff up, and then like guys with like facts <laughs> like Adam just falling apart on a live show. That's so Christmas. Oh, That's my idea. So anyway, it's a, this I'm is ready. This is uh, the holiday time of year of of giving, Mark. Yes, so. sir. It's, it's, it's a fun party. I'm excited to be doing this show. He's gift gift wrapped it for us tonight, guys. So just be ready. I hope you brought your helmet, your flak jacket. Uh, and your mouth guard, Adam, he's talking to you, all that. And, you know, guys, we talked about this earlier. It was going to be interesting. Obviously, that bottom 10 was going to be interesting. But then also, as you now get into like 15, 10, just outside the top 10. Um, that's where some controversy lies, I think, who should maybe be in the top 10, right? Uh, as opposed to sitting at 12, 13, 14, whatever. And that kind of makes all of this very different. It, it's it's somewhat subjective. Yes, we can use stats. Yes, we can use numbers. But is that the whole picture? Generally not. But sometimes statistics speak loudly. Oh, yeah. Um, so question uh, for the panel here. Um, any comments about last week's countdown? Because we, uh, well, we went, went through 20 through 16. Any, any, uh, any blowback from that, uh, from the audience? You know, I don't you know. know. Yeah, Mark, you, you've probably monitored it better than I have, but I, I don't know that, that at this stage of the game, there's people are going to get um, as excited or as hurt by maybe some of our selections. That could change tonight, though, Mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I got some feedback. One very prominent competitor, and I mean intense competitor, is listening very carefully for where they land on the list <laughs> and message me for the rest of the list. And of course, I didn't deliver that. I I, I don't know if I, um, under any false pretense, made it seem like I didn't have the rest of the list. I don't think so. I got to go back and look at the texts. But there so are you, people. You did not tell Fernando he may not be on the list. You didn't no, tell not. him that because it wasn't Fernando. <laughs> Fernando wouldn't even. Fernando's not even sniffing this list, bro. I hope you hear that too. <laughs> you're not even. You're not even. You might be on the second list. Um, top of the Mexican list. list. I love you. Anyway, <laughs> wow. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there are people listening, and I think that, I think it's an entertaining and exciting show. And I think we start getting into a spot now where you, uh, you could have some people scratching their heads, and where memory and imagination and um, nostalgia and facts 
start to collide. And I think something we may talk about later, if I'm if I'm guessing, mm-hmm. right? So um, yes. before we before we go on, I got to do a shout out to everybody on Twitch. Really appreciate you all. I'm seeing oh, yeah. some first time uh, 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 commenters right now. Buffalo Foosball wants to know what the IP of the year IP is. IP of the year, I, I love see, that. Yeah, wow, that's a that fascinating. Cool. We we. Right. I think on, I can name. Me. I think I can name mine. Okay. Okay, I think I can probably do the same for sure, for sure. Especially twenty twenty two, there was some, there was pretty extraordinary uh, moments here. But yeah, so we do it. We'll do it in the IPA part. We'll do it yeah. then. Okay, uh, okay, yeah. And also, uh, we also have some other people. Chris, Chris Foosball. That's Chris Ralston uh, out of Colorado, saying hi. So Mike Green, of course, who I don't think ever leaves the chat. Mike, good to see you as always. <laughs> so again, and as we're as we're doing our thing tonight. Uh, we're all keeping an eye on the on, on the chat. Just just mm-hmm. chime in, and we'll we'll bring you in there um, if you have anything uh, to say. Unless you're uh, Lewis Cartwright, you're done. We're over with you. <laughs> yeah. if you're there. Don't Bam. worry about it. We're done talking to you. Bam. No. Otherwise, yeah. there you go. We'll not respond to Lewis. <laughs> no. no. Incidentally, uh, Mike Green has something to say about Billy uh, for Mark. Billy, uh, uh, he saw Billy last night, and he said the next bet is on. Uh, who can put fifty pounds on instead of losing? I'll 50 crush. So just a quick update before we get on. I, I had a two-way bet going with two different entities. One of them was Billy. Another was a friend of mine. It was $1,000 both ways. I made my weight and uh, took a screenshot yesterday. I made the weight and sent it to him. And uh, double or nothing the bet because I, I, uh, and, uh, I've been eating like a complete glutton for the last 30 seconds. <laughs> I've been eating like every five minutes. I mean, I already wow. look like hell from yesterday. Wow. So you do. it's on. Whatever you want to do is party. Dig it. Dig it. Cool. Well, I think it's time to put on some weight here. What do you say? Whoa, hold on a second. Oh, there we go. Uh, What Jim and I like to do right about this time is to reveal uh, our favorite IPA. Okay, Jim, you're on. (laughs) Oh, it's me. I'm on. Um, You know, uh, Matt McCrory talked about uh, the IPA of the year. And for me, it is uh, the Pliny the Elder. A double IPA mm. out of Russian River Brewing in Northern California. It's legendary. When they get it, it goes fast. If a keg comes into town, that thing is done by the next day. Very, very legendary beer. Plenty of the Elder out of Northern California. But tonight, I'm actually coming to your neck of the woods, Tom, oh. out of um, North Haven, Connecticut. Oh. It's my new favorite brewery, uh, Abomination Brewing in North yeah. Haven. Um, this is their Ocean Monsters. Oh, uh, that one I haven't seen. We all know. Yeah. Um, there it is there, Ocean Look Monsters. Six and a half percent, a single IPA. Uh, hazy, as they so often are, um, when coming yep. from New England. A beautiful color, as you can see. Just gorgeous. Oh, lovely. Isn't that nice? Yeah, Great nice decay. and fresh. And it is delicious. Uh, Outstanding. Nice. nice. Yeah, North Haven, by the way. It seems to be a mecca for really good IPAs. There's several breweries there that uh, that I've tried so far. That one being one of them, but I haven't that haven't had that IPA. But I have a feeling it's right up there with the rest. No yeah. doubt. Abomination Brewing in North Haven. They are killing it. Oh yeah, great stuff. Adam, you seem to be uh, preoccupied. Do you have something I'm, to drink? I'm, no, I, my, my IPA of the year uh, comes from the the my favorite place so far. Breweries, of course, Pacific Northwest. Uh, got to be Fremont Disco Wolf. They're uh, Disco hazy Wolf. double IPA. Yeah, but I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. But one of my favorite things was I got to have it a couple times this year, 
and one of the times was when uh, Jim Stevens came over, him and his wife came over and we had uh, dinner with, with my wife and I. Yeah. And yeah. it was just a lovely time. It was a lot of fun. But um, uh, it's such a good beer, and it's always fun to be sharing good beers with friends. Yeah. Well, and this one. Thank you again, Adam. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. And this this one, so I, I it's been a while since I've had a Juicy. Uh, and I, juicy. I wanted to get this hazy, juicy IPA. This is Voodoo Ranger. Um, I've seen these before. I've never really had one and enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it, enjoyed it. So I'm just kind of curious where we're at here with it. That's a big can, man. Mm-hmm. It's a long night. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is this is this is I mean this is just kind of exactly what you'd want from a juicy. It's, it's light. It's 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 approachable. Approachable. Um, and it's got a nice. There's a nice citrusy uh, grapefruit <laughs> back end to it, which I totally love. Uh, so I am looking forward to the next uh, uh, 18 ounces of this. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Mark, will, will, anything other than LaCroix tonight? What is this? No. It's LaCroix. It's LaCroix. It's LaCroix. I, haven't bring, I have had like a couple of um, Woodford whiskey or bourbon with um, eggnog past couple nights but i didn't i should have had that i should just like ah yeah i'm right here to show everybody what's really on the inside <laughs> like let me do that ah, i should have done that i was on behind that white blurred wall there yes so <laughs> it's so, so un- ipa of him to do that of course very lacroix 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 <laughs> it's lacroix okay here's my ipa of the year uh this one beyond measure was absolutely my favorite it's uh vitamin m and vitamin <laughs> m comes from Middletown, New York, which really doesn't have much else going on, but there is there is that, man. That's the IPA of the year for me, hands down. So love it. As far yeah. as tonight, can't wait we're, to have one someday. Oh, yeah, it's oh, I'll, I'll send you. Sounds a, like a uh, case. remember when the ice cream truck used to come and give you candy gum cigarettes and you oh, their palm yeah. oils and you'd smoke them. That's oh what yeah. Vitamin M sounds like. It's not like marketed for kids, but <laughs> yeah. it's actually a, toxic for their <laughs> livers. All right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good stuff. So tonight, I'm uh, sharing with you once again something from Founders. Founders, which is uh, based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. This one's called the Unraveled IPA, and it is a 6.6 alcohol by content. And we're going to pour this in a glass, even though it's not that powerful. We're still, uh, we'll still sample it. And there's the color. There you have it. Down the hatch. Mm. It's, a, it's like how my urine looks right after a fast. Ha ha ha. Woo! <laughs> Hopefully it tastes better than that. I'm no. sure. Well, it does. Here's to you guys. Happy holidays. Cheers. Happy holidays. Happy yeah. New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Many happy returns. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Yeah. And of course, uh, Festivus for the rest of us. I got a beef with you. I got a bone to pick with you, but we'll we'll talk about that later as we dance around the Festivus pole. Yeah. Well, Is that the feats of strength? Mm-hmm. Feats of strength <laughs> come next. <laughs> wow, that's good. I gotta have some more of that. Well, I think I think now that we've we've got some technical issues, we have a fifth uh, member this evening who's also been very instrumental in choosing the list we've been counting down. Dave Gummison, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. No, no, Dave. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have camera because I'm guessing, Dave, you're you're sitting downstairs in the basement, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the foosball room. Nice. Can you can you click your camera on so we can all see it? That'd be awesome. Uh oh, do I have to? 
Hey, what year was it? What, what year was it? What year was it when you got a stylist? It was like 2014. Yeah. You got a stylist. You got all sculpted. Your hair started changing, dude. Let's see it. Probably like a six pack abs right now. I know. Well, no, come on, dude. I'm, a, I'm like I'm about seventy. Seventy. Uh, how do I how to turn the thing on? Should be a camera, a little yeah. camera icon, in the lower left there. Um. This is exactly like talking to my mom, by the way. Once you turn your camera on, the whole show crashes and burns. You know, it's going to change the whole thing. But, I mean, I'm here for it. Let's, yeah, no problem. See. If you can find it, that'd be great. Tom, back to you. Yes. Well, uh, I, I, did, I did press the icon, and it just says device settings. Oh, there you um, go. Well, Dave, it's just great to you have go. you on board. It's great to have you. Now, Dave, now you've been uh, helping out with uh, choosing the, the, the top 25 male singles players on the U.S. tour. So far, um, how many things have you actually seen go right, and how many things have you seen go wrong as far as what you've chosen? Well, I mean, I don't think necessarily the way the order I had it in is right. Okay. A, but I, I think what's interesting now is from 15 on up, actually, I would go 16 or 17 on up. Everybody on that list now is an actual icon of yeah. foosball, okay. and especially yep. in single. Right. Um, so I mean, really, it was it was pretty easy to put people down uh, to to make the list down to about fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and then it got a lot more difficult. Yeah, so it's like splitting hairs now because everybody's yeah yeah wow. I mean, you know, I mean, you guys for some reason I ended up twenty three, which is probably kind of funny because it's I don't think I even should be on the list. Really? Why do you say that? Uh, I never really considered myself a single specialist, and I thought that's what it was about. I had the year that I won singles, um, I was, yeah, I guess I was probably the best player at that tournament that weekend, mm -hmm. but I, I was the best singles player that year necessarily. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you were right smack dab in the middle of the 1990s. So many different players that could win it. I think the way you won that event in 1995, the way you went about it, how amazing of a performance it was certainly factored into you making the top 25. For me, the biggest issue with you was simply the body of work. There came a mm. point where singles was not a priority for you. You didn't play a lot of singles. And I think that kind of hurt you, but that performance in 95 still got you, I think legitimately into the top 25. Yeah. I mean, I got a credit playing with Swan that year for a lot of it too. I mean, we, we were playing, um, I mean, really four or five hours of singles a day against each other. And, um, you know, he plays a really fast style mm. and it got me used to that. And, uh, but I didn't really change my style, which is really high percentage and methodical, but I wasn't really caught off guard by anybody that did play fast. So made a big difference. And a couple of weeks ago, we featured you on our flashback. Uh, one of your, your greater moments as a, as a singles player. And it was just amazing, just an amazing performance. And I think uh, after watching it, watching the old video and hearing what happened, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm totally down with these guys. You know, I think you, you're, you belong on that list for sure. Yeah, it's definitely flattering. And I don't, I just never really thought of myself other than that few years where I was playing a lot of singles. Uh, when I think of single specialists, I think of more players like Rob Mars and Don Swan and Johnny Horton. Sure. Yeah, furry. Yeah, I mean uh, Steve Simon, uh, players that really made a name for themselves in the singles event. Right. Yeah. Now this should but, be a lot of fun tonight. Getting interesting for sure. Yeah, the, I'm actually kind of looking forward. The the five that are on there tonight are all really 
uh, with the possible exception of one, um, mm. are all very uh, legendary singles players. Um, one is just a legendary player. Interesting. <laughs> oh, and Jim is just rubbing his hands together here. He's, he's ready to go. To he's ready to go. So before we get into that, though, of course, we have to uh, we have to reminisce a bit, of course, with the flashback. And I have a feeling a couple of these uh, players may appear on our list tonight. You just never know. We make one quick remark, Tom, before you start that. Bob Maloney made a comment that is, I think it's a little uh, maybe sarcastic, but it also has some rooting in why you made so getting to 25 was tough we did this together and the last you know the 21 to 25 was not easy okay and bob maloney puts in chat hey dave world championship gets you extra points i think when we yep. did look yep. at the list of world champions you got to look at the world champion if you're going to start splitting hairs on people that had a lot of high finishes or won a couple times and then you look at a world championship in the 90s you get you know, you look at your list and Dave's on that list of world champions that won in the 90s. So I think it was a, a rightful place on the list for where we it's both uh, at the same time. It's an accolade and recognition to be in the top 25. That 21 through 25 starts to get sparse on who you recognize at that point. Is that pretty fair? So yeah. deserving, in my opinion. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I get all that. And, I, and, it, and I, I see where that comes from. I just I think once you get down below, you know, 17, 18, it starts it's it's splitting hairs like you said it's hard to pick one person over over another it it gets a lot easier to say yo this person who's got you know three or four or five world singles titles or somebody who's just really been a dominant singles player over the years it's easier to pick those once you get up into that top you know 15 16 range mike green has a question specifically for you and i want to um harken back to something we did about a year back, we had something called the Leroy Jenkins. And the reason why we did that is because <laughs> Rodney Jenkins, everyone has an Achilles Hill, and Lewis Cartwright couldn't beat Rodney Jenkins. Of all, the, I beat Rodney Jenkins in singles. Lewis could not beat Rodney Jenkins. And then we had this whole, who is your Achilles Heel? Mike Green wants to know who was the toughest guy. Was there a guy that just really beat you and you hated it and he kept beating you and you felt like he shouldn't? Uh,. No, was I mean, me? was it me, Dave? If it's me, it's okay. You can admit. <laughs> no, it's more the usual suspects, like the people that you, you know. I, I one of the reasons I stopped playing singles is I there was certain players I just knew I wasn't going to beat, at least not with any regularity. Um, guys like Federico and uh, and uh, Tony and uh, Billy, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were just at another level and. I don't enjoy it if I'm if I'm at a dis- that big a disadvantage. It feels like too much. Mm. I don't know. I just lost a little bit of my competitive drive after losing to those guys and knowing that they were just better than I was in singles. Yeah. We well, made up for it in doubles, so that's no. Um, oh yeah. No, no disgrace in giving up in singles because you were a lesser man anyway. For <laughs> weapon in doubles. <laughs> yeah, you're a lethal weapon in doubles. <laughs> Well, what do you say before we get into our countdown again, we're going to be reviewing from f- number 15 to number 11 of the top 25 male singles players on the U.S. tour. And it's coming up in just a few. But for, before we get there, we need to reminisce. With great moments in foosball history, this is a Foos Talk Live flashback. so dangerous offensively from every rock. Fires it down the table, moves into the offensive position to grab the rebound. Todd Lafredo with another chance to put it away. I believe it's his fourth. He brings it across, sets it up and pull shops it. Try to go to that street hole. Looked like the hole was there. Hit off the corner, rebound comes all the way back. 
Fredo looking to clear the zone. Hit it wide on the goal. It's rebounded into the goal by Rob Mares, who comes back from a 4-1 deficit in game number five to steal the match and win the national championship. What a hustling comeback performance from that man right there, Rob Mares. Great performance by Mares. And he's the champion. Listen in next time for another great moment in foosball history. It's Foos Talk Live. I got to say, you know, walk, watching that that match, um, it really seemed like in the first set that, um, well, that, that Lafredo is just going to, you know, steamroll his way to the to the to the championship, but it just didn't go that way, and it was really kind of a weird ending because the 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 the, the final uh, shot from Morris came off his five row. And it was really yeah, interesting. What, what year was that, Tom? What year was that? Uh, I believe that it was, um, I, you know what? I didn't get the exact year, so I don't want to, I don't want to sound foolish here. I don't know. It was, um, it was the Nationals that year. Um, 2009, was it as recent as that perhaps? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. Maybe the National Doubles champ or National Singles Championships in uh, St. Louis. Uh, yeah, anyway. I think that. You'd think I would remember that, that but right. um, I didn't really recognize it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was in the late 90s, too, because Rob was really peaking in the late 90s. So, I, I didn't sound like that. That wasn't the 90s, me, though, I don't think. Oh, well, okay, okay. Yeah. That was a but, Rob Morris with, he still had his, you know, uh, shoulder length or, or, or longer hair. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Todd looked. I mean, really like Todd. Did from, he look thin? Did yeah, he look thin? Thin and tall time, yeah. and, and uh, totally yeah. dark hair. And so it could have been 1990s, I think. Late, late 90s, maybe 98, 99. I'll look it up and get back to you. Yeah, good. And here I thought you had it right at the top of your head. Jim, you you disappointed me there. But anyway, Ooh, I dug Yeah, I like it. Ready to start with controversy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best? <laughs> well, no, I mean, but here's the question, though. Tom, why did that jump out at you? It was because well, that, of, that's... well, first of all, maybe one of these two may appear on the, the top, you know, 15 to 11 tonight. Maybe. We'll see. But uh, anyway, it was just seemed like Rob Morris, as a singles player, has always been, you know, very, very good. But he had very few really big wins. Well, we'll get into all that, won't we? Yes, we will. Potentially tonight, <laughs> yes. Potentially. We'll, well see. Let's do this. All right, here we go. Throughout the history of professional foosball competition, the top players have waged war. Many have tried, and many have failed. Last year, we presented the top 50 foosball players in the history of the game. Now, Foos Talk Live returns to bring you the names of those who stand above the rest. The top 25 singles foosball players on the U.S. Tour. This list has been compiled by experts, stored for weeks in the Mark Torres Anchilada Pantry, locked in the vault of the firm Stevens, Torres, Gilson, and Gummison, and hand-delivered under armed guard to the studios of Foos Talk Live. Tonight, we present to you the top 25 male singles players, ranked from number 15 through number 11. Here now is the number 15 ranked male singles foosball player on the U.S. Tour, Steve Simon. Yeah, Steve Simon. And, and again, Steve, um, one of the great early players, one of the sport's true pioneers, really did all his damage in about a three, maybe four-year period. 
uh, a push kicker who won the 1975 World Singles Championship and then came back the next year in 1976 to finish second to uh, Dan Kaiser uh, in the 76 event. Had uh, two singles titles in 1977 on the Pro Tour, the TS Tour, of course. Was also third in open singles at Super Singles that year. That was a big event. Um, second at a $50,000 New York event in 1978. And that was really his last big singles finish. So only a couple of three, four years, but that's the kind of impact he made during that time. Dave said it earlier, he was a singles player. You can kind of picture him there at the table in that push kick stance at times, but also the transition game, a very good as well. Uh, another of those early players who really helped design and create uh, the modern singles game. Obviously, it's evolved since then, but but really it was the, the rule changes that had uh, recently taken place um, and the style of play that evolved very quickly because of the level of competition. Um, and Steve Simon was at the forefront of that. Again, pioneer status factors in a lot here. A tremendous early success. We talked about those two early, very early um, world singles final appearances. Finished number 31 on our list of the top 50 players in the history of the American Tour. Number 15 here on the list of the top singles players. Steve Simon out of Austin, Texas, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2001. I'm going to be very brief, and then I'm going to defer to Dave. I've only ever seen Steve play pickup games. I've never actually seen him play a match. He was at a foosball tournament, and I see him see him hacking around. He absolutely has a reputation that precedes him. And I've seen Johnny Lott on social media elaborate on Steve as though if you were to go era for era, I'm sure he would argue immediately that Steve should be in the top three of this list, according to Johnny Lott. But for the purposes of me not knowing a ton about him, and I, I was impressed with what I've seen him play. If there's anything, these guys that were champions in the 70s, they manifest or they project still some of that confidence like like you're at their table. They have that attitude about them. They carry that about them, and I think it's great. Uh, but other than that, I don't know much about Steve, and I'd love to hear Dave and then Adam I'll, you know, speak more to him. So, Dave, please take over. Well, I would start by saying um, I didn't start playing until 76, and his arguably his strongest year would be 75. Um, I didn't really start traveling until 78, so I really didn't see him at his peak, but I do know a lot about him reputation-wise and what he's done. One thing that didn't get mentioned, I think, is in 75, he won the national championship or what you'd say would be the world championships on both TS and Tornado the same year. So they had a Tornado national championships and singles. He won singles there, and then he also did it on TS, which was really difficult, I think, to do, especially then. Um, as far as evaluating overall, I think there's two ways you can go about it. You can either look at it as just total number of world titles. And then you'd wonder, well, is he too high on this list? But if you look at it from a standpoint of, for his era and the number of participants and the competition level and the prize money and how big it was then, you could argue that he should be higher on the list. So it's just really your, you know, your perception of where, you know, what criteria you're going to use and, and what you're going to take into consideration. I mean, he was definitely one of the most impactful legendary singles players of that whole era, maybe, you know, top couple. Um, and he was a dominant player, but, um, and he had no, uh, he, and still probably has no shortage of confidence. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> confidence. Yes. Yeah, that, that's how I'm going to put it. 
He has a lot of confidence. Powered no. by Jesus, baby. Powered by Jesus. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> great, great singles player, no doubt. So two things about uh, about uh, Steve Simon. Uh, every time I see him um, in the last 20-something years that I've been going to these tournaments, every time I see him, he is so gracious, and he's so kind, and he comes up to me, and he talks to me about how, at that tournament, Dave, that you mentioned, 75, my dad was there. My dad is a push-kick shooter. Um and and help them with some mechanics or whatever. You know, it's my dad who who worked for tournament soccer and played foosball on the side, but he wasn't like a pro player. Um, and he remembers that decades later and always points that out to me whenever I see him, which I just think is so kind and speaks to a level of character, a foosballer otherwise, that I think is very nice. But uh, one of the things that I enjoy going to if I'm looking for tiebreakers or just a little bit more information is this table soccer digest that I go to. And one of the things that I found very interesting, looking at the tournament soccer, calm down, Mark, it's called facts. It's all right there. <laughs> I do this. Again. One of the things, wrote it up in Xerox it yourself off your damn little printer. Back. Make it yeah, I got a mess paint. Anyways, don't interrupt me, dude. My point is this, is that looking at the tournament soccer uh, players poll and statistics of those players back then in the golden era of foosball, uh, the top five, as voted by these top players back then, the top five greatest singles players, Doug Furry, Dan Kaiser, Mike Bowers, Steve Simon is number four. Five, Tom Spear. It's interesting. But, you know, this was uh, kind of before the fact that, you know, this isn't this poll was taken in the mid-80s, so there was still stuff that was still playing out, right? But, I mean, um, just speaking to Steve Simon's legacy and the time that he played in just the three short years, because that's always something we talk about. And I think we're going to wrap up this at some point in one of the last episodes, Jim and Mark and, and, and Tom and, and Dave, and, and talk about how so much of what foosball is now – came from just this little four or five uh, six year period right which is so fascinating but steve simon at this location on this list very well deserved yeah i mean number 15 for a man who really only played uh you know four years maybe on tour at the highest level but uh, to accomplish quite a bit and of course his impact in the ripple effect of of what he helped create early on i certainly part of what uh, lands him i think at a very deserving uh number 15 and shortness of career maybe hurt him a little bit, hurt him from being higher on the list. Coming in at number 14 on the Foes Talk Live Top 25 Male Singles Foosball Players, Robert Mares. Yeah, our good friend, Rapid Robert Mares, uh, the final player in the, on this list. It, basically the only player in the top 15 who does not actually have a world championship title. But that should tell you something about the man's career, the length of the career, the level of success that he has attained. Uh, broke through in the early 1990s, of course, after touring the country in the infamous Foos van, as seen in, in Foosballers uh, with Terry Moore, Evan Stachlik and company. And then earned his first tour win uh, when he won Master Singles. At that time, Master Singles was a major competition. It was 20 or 30 master players competing in a single elimination three out of five format. Uh, and he won in 1994. We mentioned that he has never won a world championship. However, he has been in six Tornado World Singles Finals. 1995, losing to Dave Gummison, our guest tonight. In 1996, Lewis Cartwright beat him. In 2001, Marez lost to Johnny Horton in a very famous performance. Uh, 2004 and 2006 lost to, um, oh, actually 2004 lost to Billy Pappas in 04. Uh, and in 2006, also, I believe, lost to Pappas again. 2013, lost to Federico. So some pretty, actually, that was Tony in 2013. 
Frederico in 20, 2006. But you look at the names of the players that Mater has lost to, right? Uh, Dave Gummison playing out of his mind in 1995. Lewis Cartwright, who would's do? That's how good Lewis was in 1996. 2001, Johnny Horton, uh, just rolling, right? Um, and so Mater has six world finals. Could have won maybe two or three of them, potentially, right? That's how great this guy was. Also won two Hall of Fame singles championships. I'll never forget, I think it was 2014, when he faces uh, Tony Spreiderman in the finals of open singles at the Bardo Hearn celebration down in Austin, Texas. Um, Rob had won the winner's bracket. Tony comes out and blitzes him the first three games of the opening set uh, to win the first set and take it to a second. Tony then comes out and kills Rob two straight games to go up two games to nothing. Then Montez calls a timeout, steps away, walks around a little bit, looks inside himself and comes back out and hits 11 straight shots on his three rod, wins the next three games to come back and beat Tony after losing the first five games of the final and to become the, the Bardo Hearn celebration champion. Um, one of the tour's most versatile players ever, you know, he continued to be a really strong player well into the 90s, into the 2000s, 2010s, and still today. Robert Mares is a guy, when you see him playing singles, you think, you know, there's one of the guys that maybe could compete for the title here this weekend. Uh, one of the most consistent, enthusiastic, and competitive players the, the sport has ever seen. Finished up at uh, n- number 14 on our top 50 as well, coincidentally. Um, and here he is uh, on number 14 in singles. Again, a man who never won a world championship, but I don't think there's any question in any of our minds that Robert Mares deserves to be in the top 15. Uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2015, comes in at number 14 on the top singles list. I really struggled with Rob on my list. I really, really struggled with where to put Robbie on my list. Uh, so we were rookies together. We were amateurs together. In 1990, when I won the world championship in amateur doubles, I beat Robbie at fifth and sent him in the loser's bracket. So I just thought I'd memorialize that moment on this podcast forever. <laughs> Thank you. But anyway, he, uh, what happens with Robbie is he gets on that bus and now he's traveling around the country with that group of guys, including Tommy Atkinson and Terry Moore, and they're playing every tournament. And very quickly, Robbie becomes, and every, you know, Lafredo's everyone's gatekeeper in singles in the 90s. You got to beat Lafredo. And that's, Robbie figures out how to beat Todd. And then he's dealing with Terry. And these guys are, Tommy's there. They're all going at each other's throats. Robbie's thing is, he's going to be the number one player in the world. And he plays like everything. And he's number one. I don't know how many years he's the number one player in the world. It's, the points race is based off of really volume of play at that point. And he does so well so often at so many events. He's the number one player in the world. I can't remember. We'd have to look it up. Uh, But he's like number one for years. Uh, But I struggle with him on the list because I don't know, but I have a bias and maybe it's something I'm too discriminatory about, but I have a bias when you can't close. And it's probably an unfair bias. It didn't keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Clearly, he's got he's a world champion and international champion. He's so deserving of all the accolades. When it comes to the top singles players of all time, part of my discrimination is winning at the world championship. And I don't, it's a hard for me. So I think it, I, I'm very happy with Robbie on this list and probably even at this spot. It could easily be argued he's too low on the list, easily. If you want to come from the direction of body of work and six, and, and some will argue, some people in this, in this chat will probably argue that six times in the finals, has equivalency to winning one. And I'm not sure. I'd have to think that through and absorb it and argue about it. Um, for me, I put such a high emphasis on winning, winning as a differentiator between the herd and the elite. 
That's where my brain goes. And I'm as discriminatory about that detail on myself as I am, and I'm very consistent about it. I don't believe you're a master in this sport unless you win at the highest levels in majors. I don't care how many points you get. I don't care who you beat. I don't care if you beat Tony in singles 50 times in a row. You are not a master. You're not a master unless you win consistently at the championship level against everybody, not just Tony. And I feel that way. I'm very, very feel very strongly about it. So I'm, I'm interested to hear Dave and um, Adam's opinion on this. I'll just say that I'm, I, I love Robbie. I think he's amazing. I grew up with that guy, and I'm, I'm happy to see him on this list. I'm not sure if, uh, I mean, I'm fine with where he is. Any higher or lower is totally up for debate, and I'm excited to hear the opinions of the other guys. Dave, please. Are you sure you're done? No, I'm, you know what? <laughs> Don't piss me off, man. I just got done. Just finished. <laughs> if, I, if I had known that Mark Torres had beat Mares, he may not be on my list. I, that's all I'm saying. Ooh. Mark, I'd be one of those guys that would argue with you that uh, I, would, I would take Robbie's six final appearances in Worlds over someone that just won one. Um, so, but I do also want to point out, it keeps getting said, and I know that he hasn't won a world title. Well, as he hasn't won a world singles title. I think he's got at least three or four world doubles titles. Yep. Different partners. And why is that? Because Rob is extremely easy to play with. I've played with him before. Um, whether it's World Cup or in a, just a tournament, he's just a super nice guy, very supportive of his partner. So he's like the ideal partner to have in an event, which is kind of weird because he's also one of the best singles players. But he's he's actually the absolute definition of a singles player. When you think of singles, what uh, he's got, He's a good, he's a great forward, he's a great goalie, and he's got an exceptional transition game, fast hands, does all the things that would make somebody a great singles player. So, I mean, if anything, I think he should be higher on the list. But, uh, like you said, he doesn't have the world singles title, but to me, he's just the definition of a strong singles player. So, I, I, when I think of singles players, singles, great singles players, I think of Rob Mars. Dave, like, do you think top 10 or a little higher in this bracket? Uh, well, there's so many great players still coming up, so it's really right. hard. Mm. But it's you certainly, fun. I think you could make a case for it, though, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, this 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 brings up the whole Trevor Park dilemma. And we've talked about this. Mark and I, we've talked about this extensively. Like, Trevor Park has been, what, uh, Open Doubles second place at Worlds t- two, three times or whatever it is. One ball, how many times, Jim? That's like a, ball, a possession away, a ball away. Yeah, 2000, 2001, and 2003 had chances or opportunities or a window uh, in all three of those championship finals. And he, and he doesn't ta- uh, crack our top 50 of greatest players of all time, right? And, not singles, right? And yeah. But if he and, wins and if one they, of those, if he, he wins, wins one, one of those, of, he would have. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And it's a really interesting question. And it speaks, you know, as Bob Maloney saying uh, about the winning world championships, is We've been talking about gummies, and it's a very interesting conversation when we talk about this. Um, you know, where do you place in in, in in your ability if you're not actually winning, as as, as Mark says, if you're not actually closing? Um, that's a conversation we're going to continue to be having, I think, uh, for for forever and all time, which is fine because that's what pays the bills, right? Anyways, <laughs> um, I will say this though: I too once beat Rob Mares in singles as a semi-pro at nationals in 2004. Mm. I three straighted him. Um, and then I saw him again to play for fifth later and, uh, it was five games and, 
and it was just so amazing to me because I was just like, a, a, what's a semi like expert to today's mm-hmm. ish, right? Yeah. And I remember like I was just doing, I was feeling confident. You know, you get in those modes and you're just playing uh, above your head against somebody that you know was good, and um, and just all of a sudden in the, in the fifth game, he just turns it to another gear and he sees something. He sees something in my armor. This is gaping hole, and he shoots in this fifth game. And this is something that I've talked to Tommy Atkinson about since. He shoots three dead bar brushback pull kicks from the two bar. The second he saw my zone was screwed. And then he shot a fourth. And I'm like, I haven't even gotten the ball on the three bar yet, right? That is the kind of player, and that is when we talk about a single specialist, somebody that isn't just playing on the five and the three and playing defense. They can play the whole zone and see what it is. So it is just not shocking to me to see. And yeah, we had the conversation. Could it be higher? Eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. This is just part of the conversation. But Rob Myers, congratulations. Yeah, again, coming from one of his true peers, um, in, in Dave and, and Rob, both in their primes, they were competitors with each other. To hear Dave say that when he thinks of a singles player, he thinks of Robert Myers. And, and I think you expanded on that beautifully as well, Adam. Uh, he is a pure singles player. Uh, and the fact that he hasn't won one, I mean, if he had won two of these, where would he be on this list? Yeah. If he had won 33% of those, where would mm-hmm. he be on this list? We're talking high top 10. Uh, so, um, But I think deserving again. I think this, he landed in a good spot. Let's move on to the next one, and maybe things will change in my eyes. Well, Jim, I just I just remembered something I observed when we played the uh, the flashback with Morris versus Lafredo in uh, in the gameplay when the uh, the two row blocks the three row and the, the ball goes off the table. The table comes back to the five row. So oh, okay, so that's yeah. uh, maybe a clue as to what era that might have been. Yeah, that was before that was mm-hmm. before the Colorado clear rule. Those guys. Yeah. Uh, I got decimated by that, the way that tactic, I like the 93 worlds by Robbie and Spear who played together. And uh, so that, that's um, mid to late nineties, right? When did that rule change, Dave, when you could no longer get the ball back on your five bar? I don't remember the exact early, very early two thousands. It was a very early two thousands. I thought it was nineties, but yeah. Okay. Very early. Yeah. I think it was very early, late nineties, early two thousands, right in there. Um, okay. okay, so we're getting to, to narrow it down. To maybe 99, that, that maybe 98, something place. like that. Maybe. Who knows? Well, let's let's move really? on. Yeah. Now, with a player coming in at number 13 of the Foos Talk Live Top 25 Male Singles Foosball Players, Todd Lafredo. Number 13, Lafredo, probably the greatest doubles player in the history of American foosball. I mean, he has won more than, I think, 25, close to 25 Tornado World Championships, of course, won in 1977 with Gil Jackson. But he was also a really good singles player. He did win on TS. He won the 1978 LA Open in in Open singles. I I was there. I was at that event. Uh, Had three other finals appearances on the TS Tour. So when we're talking about a guy who was not viewed as one of the great necessarily even players, as Mark has suggested, um, in the 1970s, it was in four open singles finals. Um, of course, tournament soccer crashes in 1981. And then in 1982, um, he won open singles at the U.S. Open, uh, the, the tournament that I had my greatest moment when I finished third in open doubles with Clint Coyne, who I saw in Colorado recently. Um, but Lafredo won singles and mixed doubles that weekend in Los Angeles in 1982. He was also second at the Worlds that year in 82 and then won. The 1984 Dynamo World Championship in open singles, and then won his only Tornado World Championship two years later in 1986. That's the last singles world championship, two of them. He gets two of them. 
But despite only winning the two world titles, only winning two world titles, he was one of the best singles players of the second golden era. He won two of the five majors in 1991. He won three of the five major championship singles titles in 1992, uh, including the first three of the year, the, the kickoff, the U.S. Open, and the Masters. Uh, won a number of singles uh, titles in the, the later 1990s. Between 1991 and 1996, he won 10 major singles championships. I think, in my opinion, maybe we have him a little low. Um, yeah, possibly because he won so many open doubles world titles and only the two open singles world championships. Our voters had very different opinions. One of our voters had him as high as number six on the list. Um, two others had him at number 16 mm. on the list. Um, he was number two, of course, on our list of the top five, uh, top 50 greatest players of all time of the American tour. Comes in at number 13 here. Todd Lafredo. Yeah, I know who had him at number six, and I'm pretty sure it was me. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I said it last week on the, was it? Was it you? <laughs> oh. I had him. Well, I feel badly because I said last week on the show that something about Todd was that he, in, I think it happened in 77, his brain switches a wire and says, I'm going to focus on doubles at the Worlds. I want to play singles. I want to play well. I want to, but it was all, Todd was always this doubles freak at the Worlds. However, every other tournament leading up to the Worlds, I mean, in my memory in the 90s is what Jim just said. He would win singles all the time. And in the 90s, to get 10 singles championships is a massive uh, thing. I don't know how many Terry has. Terry might have more than Todd, maybe. I don't know. Probably Terry was a monster in singles in the 90s but todd would just win he'd triple he'd win singles doubles mix like every there was five tour events and he'd win all the time in my memory he was a maestro in singles until the worlds where you could expect him to probably win doubles and probably like take third in mixed and probably finish fifth in singles but you expected him to win doubles of the worlds uh i think i think lafredo gets a lot of emphasis in doubles because that's where his focus was but if you look at the body of work I would I easily argue Lafredo in the top 10 in singles easily. Um, anyway, Dave, please take over. Uh, that was my parrot. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Mark is a parrot. We know that. Um, <laughs> so my whole thing with Todd is, I mean, you're talking about the greatest American player of all time. Um, and I don't even, there's not even, a, I don't think a huge debate. I mean, He's won doubles a ridiculous amount of times. And even with as many single titles as he has, you kind of feel like he's underachieved in singles because of how talented he, you know, how talented of a player he is. And his emphasis, I think he'd even admit, has always been doubles. I mean, he cares more about doubles than singles. Um, I mean, I've played him so many times over the years, and I feel like he's an easier but not, I shouldn't say easy. He's easier to beat in singles. You have a better chance of getting through him in singles than you do in doubles. And I think I think part of it's just because he cares more about doubles than singles. Um, should he be higher on the list? Yeah, you could definitely make an argument for that. But um, I don't. I I think this when when I think of the players that are coming up, I think probably I would put I would still put all of the players ahead of him on this list ahead of him, in my opinion, just because he's, you know, he hasn't won as much as his talent would dictate he should. 
That's kind of a rough one, though, isn't it? When you start comparing him at, to himself, yeah. Well, when you say that he he's 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 um, an underachiever out of, and I bet you Todd would say right now, Todd has beat me in singles. Let me tell you a story about Todd. Todd beat me in singles shooting a cutback pull shot one time in four games. He crushes me in four games. He's cutting back, and I asked him if he was shooting that on my defense, and he said no. I didn't want to get in my stance because I was lazy. And I was hot. I was I was peaking at this time. I'm like a hot, hot expert. And Todd's beat beat me because he didn't want to get into a stance. And I'm thinking, you suck, dude. I mean, you suck. You really suck. Like, so he he lazily wins ten singles championships in the '90s. Like, out of like, I I, I was gonna run into one sooner or later. I was gonna win one. I think it's tough um, to to use that as a metric, man. Like, like he could have won. He could have won twice as many if he wasn't bored, or he would had. Had more energy drinks or decided not to fast? It's a rough one. Go ahead, Adam. Sorry. What is your point, Mark? I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, I don't even know if you guys are here when I open until I open my eyes. I'm like, oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's an interesting uh, uh, point um, that I think everybody's making. Jim, of course, using stats and numbers and whatnot. Um, and I think uh, I think you're right. Well, I mean, you can't not be wrong about those numbers. And I think that it, what it, it brings... Ugh. Mark, <laughs> he's scratching his back. That's so gross. <laughs> At least he didn't smell it. What it brings into what, what it brings into focus for me is uh, world championship bias. If, if when you're winning, and no, world championship bias and era bias, right? I mean, we can talk about his desire, what it is he wants to do, or Mark can make up whatever Mark makes up, and that's also fine. Uh, but Mark, you may or may not have had him in the top ten. I'm not entirely sure. I don't recall. But um, I think the question does remain: right now, loser. Is he a single specialist? Is he where he should be right now? I don't know. I really have to. I, I have to. I have to look at this again and, and question my own biases. To be honest with you, because yeah, I know that he won in the '90s, but he was winning in the '80s, and I think, frankly, any one of us here can maybe, with the exception of maybe Gummison, question what kind of biases we have about who's winning championships in the '80s. I don't know. And that's not a dig on any one of you. This is just part of this conversation. And I think it's never, ever going to be right. But, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I, I need to think about it. I need to think about it. But at the same time, still, Lofredo's on the list and Mark isn't. So it's a really yeah, good that's day. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even I though Mark keeps. I had him at Mark, 11. Hey, hey, right, I, I had him at 11. You actually, Mark, I, you had, I think you had him at number 10, I think, Mark, didn't you? Okay. But, right, um, but I, Mark's scratching his back. I'm still scratching my head. And here's why um, Todd finishes at number 13. Okay. The four players ahead of him all have two or fewer world championships. Todd won, I believe, 15 major singles championships. And mm -hmm. that, that number might be a couple higher than that. None of the other players ahead of him, of those four ahead of him, um, won more than five or six. Wow. So not only did he win two world championships, he also won 15 major championships, yeah, yeah, not to mention yeah. all the state events and everything else that he won, which I think you could equate with some of Furry's wins on tour as well. Um, and, and, and then you have a couple others ahead of him that, uh, had fewer world championships or an equal amount and had far fewer major championships and during an era and, and say what you will about the early to mid eighties on dynamo, say what you will about it. You have to take that into consideration, certainly. But then as the tornado tour of the late eighties and nineties, mid nineties and beyond, uh, we call that the second golden era. And that's where he had his greatest success. 
in open singles. Yeah, Far more majors yeah. than anybody else, except for Terry Moore during that time period. Uh, one, two world championships, which is also a handful of players have done that throughout the history of the sport. So for me, it's a no-brainer. Todd Lafredo was a top 10 all-time singles player. I had him at number six, as we talked about earlier. And I believe that's the area that he deserves to be in. Um, yeah. Obviously, not the doubles player. And, and of course, a lot of it, like Mark said, uh, he comes into world championship events focusing primarily on doubles. And look at the success he's had with so many different partners. It's remarkable. Yeah. But he was also, despite what you may think about him, and maybe we forget about him, maybe we compare yeah. him to ourselves or himself, rather, uh, as ta as uh, Dave did. Um, but this is a guy that certainly, in my opinion, deserves to be higher than number 13. Hmm. Yeah, Dave, I, just actually got a, I just got a right. text from my Here's dad. Here's the player who's right. Oh. Yeah, go for it. Oh, well, he's just calling me a, a hit head. What is that? What is that? It's a '70s term, I think. It's a '70s thing. Okay, it it's a golden be. era thing. All right, go ahead, Tom. Your, your, dad just, uh, <laughs> your dad left the letter S off that word. Yeah. I know. Oh, okay. right. Let's not let's not shout the the quiet part. I want to ask Dave a question. Dave, do you think it's possible? And this happens too. It's another type of bias entirely. Do you think it's because maybe you felt comfortable beating Todd, and maybe he was easier for you? Do you think maybe you had a bias? toward where he landed on your specific list? I may have had a bias, but not. no, I wouldn't say I had an easier time beating him. I just uh, thought, because uh, he's beaten me in singles just tons of times, but I just feel like I had a better chance to beat him in singles. Okay, okay. He would, he would make a lot of mistakes and, and you know, high risk, but I just think he's, he's, his skill level overall, he's a great goalie, great forward, great transition player, very creative. I just think all that adds up to where I feel like he should have won more. And I think it's because he didn't focus on it. Um, so if that's a bias, then I guess I'm biased. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah and I don't, I don't think you could definitely, as Jim say, make the case that he belongs in the top 10, even number six. I mean, but if you look at some of those other players, I, I mean, they were single specialists and they did have, I think most of the ones ahead of them have at least two or more world titles. Um, Todd, as far as I know, Todd got a world title, um, on Dynamo in 84 in singles. Um, and then in 86 on Tornado, and that was the year they had both Tornado and Dynamo. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, if because of that, it's a little more watered down, uh, as far as there was really a chance to win a world title. But I, the other thing interesting is he won in 87, he won doubles yeah, on both tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and one other thing, yeah, you know, they're incredible. Don't forget also 2015, the year of the movie, year of foosballers, second place mm -hmm. finisher uh, in open singles at the, or at the Tornado World Championships as well, in 2015 uh, as well, at the, at the age of 55. Don't forget yeah. that when he gets a documentarian crew following him around, <laughs> he just decides, you know what? I'm going to get to the finals again at whatever the hell age. Because he cares. 58 or whatever the hell he is. He's yeah. like, you know, I'm just going to practice. I'm going to get my pencil out for the cameras. And I'm going to draw on the table <laughs> stuff you've never seen. I'm going to use an eraser. And all of a sudden, here he is. Ryan Morris think he's going to stomp Todd. And now Ryan's, are, you know, archived as a third-place finisher. That That's serious greatness when you're like, I got a TV camera. I'm going to get to the finals of the World Championships. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm hoping this lights a fire on him and he wins the World Singles title now because of it. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> it would be great so the, one of the best the scenes man is 62 years old at yeah. this stage i'm not the... sure he's got a singles title in his future but who knows with that guy nothing right? would surprise me with him yeah. 
And one of the most memorable scenes in Foosballers is the scene with the, with the cannon and the, uh, the battlefield where he's uh, posed a specific matter with the cannon. Anyway, anyway I digress. Let's move on. Here's the Here, player 30, who's ranked 30. at number 12 on the Foos Top Live Top 25 Male Singles Foosball Players, Doug Furry. Doug Furry, um, one of the great singles players of the 70s, no doubt about it. Um, second at the 1975 Worlds when he lost to, to Steve Simon, who was on the list a little earlier, uh, and then won the prestigious Super Singles title in 1977. That was his biggest singles win, by the way. That was a $50,000 event. It was focused only on singles, um, tremendously competitive, um, and he came out on top of that. He did win six open singles titles on the 1978 TS Tour, won 10 uh, tournament soccer singles titles overall. Um, finished second even on the at the Dynamo Worlds in 1983, post-tournament soccer crash and post-Jim Wiswell and all. Um, and then was second at the 84 U.S. Open on Dynamo for basically calling it a career at the end of that season. Um, another guy that did not win as many world championships but was competitive in world championship events. Obviously, one of the great goalies of all time, one of the great doubles players, number four on our top 50 all-time list. That should tell you something. Um, and a great singles player, yet finishes at, at number 12 here on this list. And I think that's more suggestive of who's ahead of him um, than anything else because he is viewed as one of those guys, great goalie, great singles player, great foosball player, period, who really did understand the foosball format very well. Again, he was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1996 out of the state of Minnesota, finished number four on our top 50, finishing at number 12 here, the great Doug Furry. I'm once again going to be brief because I'd rather hear what Dave and Adam have to say. I would just say that at this point, Doug Furry is the foosball equivalent of Bill Russell. He's just kind of mm -hmm. like a guy who, in his era, did everything there was to do and was so dominant. And it's tough for a guy like me who has kind of a narrow, myopic vision of the last 30 or so years to go back another 10 to 15 years preceding that and have a good grasp to deliver anything of substance. But I'll just say that he has that. He has that whole Bill Russell manifestation that we just, you know, it's like he's got to be on this list. Where does he go? And I think um, Dave's a better, uh, better conversation for his opinions on Doug Furry. Yeah, I would say, in it, you know, the thing I would I would point out is that the just the just the list of tournaments alone doesn't really say, tell the whole story with with Doug. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, and so I got to really watch a lot of the top players um, from Minnesota play. And Furry was one of those guys that always had another gear. Um, he, I mean, he's literally the the greatest um, pressure player I've ever seen for sure. I've never seen anybody that could just, you know, raise his game to another level whenever he had to. And I saw him do it over and over again. I saw him play locally. I saw him play regionally and, and nationally. And I, and since I really looked up to him as a young player, him and Wiswell, I would go and watch all their matches. So I saw him do things that just super impressed. Um, always was able to raise his game to another level. Um, always had the, the clutch shot, the clutch pass. And in singles, if you've ever played him in singles, really, really smooth. Like, everything is just effortless. Um, got a, a really smooth five bar, one of the smoothest pole shots you'll ever see. Um, one of the, probably, arguably, one of the top couple goalies of the TS era. Um, so he can do everything from transition 
play goalie, play forward. I mean, he won a world title playing front, and he won world titles playing back. That tells you something right there about what kind of a singles player he must have been and a great transition player. So, um, I yeah, I think this is probably a when you think of the titles he has and he didn't play for as long a period of time as some of the other players ahead of him on the list, I don't have a problem with him being there. But you could definitely make the case that he should be in the top ten. Yeah, Doug Furry, um, I think, and, and this is something that's really coming out as we go down this list, um, go up this list, is that singles is a multi-rod, multi-position um, uh, specialization. He's winning, we talk about Rob Mares, who was winning uh, uh, at goalie position, uh, open championships, right? We're talking about uh, Furry, of course, who's who won up front and, and at back in doubles, right? This translates. This translates to what you're doing in singles. And it's something that I think that a lot of people, as we're building this history and talking about what it is that foosball was, is, and will continue to grow into, we think about the components that make it good. And one of them is when you look at a foosball table and you're getting ready to play singles, um, it's not just your forward position and your goalie position. It's not even just your three bar and your five bar. It's every single man and every single possession as it relates to what the other person is doing and that is something that's this multi-level 4d chess whatever you want to call it that occurs and that's why i think that i think i think we have only 25 ish of these top 25 uh, uh singles players male singles players because of the rarefied air it takes to be able to operate at foosball at that level doug furry one of those players at number 12 yeah, no question about it. You know, a lot of what, you know, not all of us saw Doug Furry play. I saw him play a couple of times, um, but it's the, the 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 legacy that he left behind, right? It's the the, the way we look at him. He's, he was almost a superhero. Uh, Wiz and Fur, Doug Furry, coming from the, the 1970s. Uh, the numbers are there as well, winning 10 singles championships in the 1970s on the TS Tour. That's right up there among the very best, no question about it. Um, again, the career wasn't real long, but I think we give kind of a, a special dispensation to players from the 70s who competed from 74 through 81, um, six, seven, eight years, maybe uh, a, a length of career many times. But because of the the level of play, because of the prize money, as Dave talked about earlier, because of the numbers of players in attendance to those events, I think we give them a little bit of a, a special um, consideration. So uh, again, the, he was number four on the, the um, on the big list. And number 12 here, maybe that says a little bit about what we think about his doubles side of the game. Um, but certainly a guy, I think, who we could argue, as Dave said, should be in the top 10, even without a world singles championship, although a super singles championship, I think, is right there with that in terms of a prestige. But um, but again, that's what makes this list so so fun and so uh, enjoyable is that we can talk about it. We can argue about it. We it, it develops conversation. It gives us all something to talk about, something to focus in, continue to focus in on the history of the sport. So no problem with uh, Mr. Furry at 12. Next, the player ranked at number 11 on the Foos Talk Live Top 25 Male Singles Foosball Players on the U.S. Tour, Tom Spear. Yeah, the great Tom Spear, another legendary player, another guy that we view through a certain lens uh, that isn't entirely based on statistics. Um, a true single specialist and another one of the great one-on-one players of the 1970s and then beyond, all through the various decades. Uh, 
five top three finishes in open singles on the 1979 TS Tour, including three open singles wins, and he was voted the Player of the Year uh, for that tour season in 1979. He then became the first Dynamo World Singles Champion in 1982. And then, of course, 12 years later in one of the great performances ever, Rocky Mountain High, uh, when he won open singles, defeating Terry Moore in the final in 1994. Um, a guy who really controlled the pace of the game, a single specialist, so smart, without thank you. But also a lot of it was just pace. You had to play at his pace. You had no choice. Um, but a guy, again, won two world championships, same as Lafredo. Um, how many singles titles did he have total in his career? Fewer than five. Yet I'm not saying he shouldn't be maybe even ahead of Lafredo, but it's not because of the stats. It's not because of the numbers. It's something else. It's an intangible with this guy. When we look at him, look at the way he played the singles game. It's something that elevates him. Do I think Lafredo should be ahead of him? Eh, maybe, but certainly Tom Spear and not because of statistics does have the two world titles, but more because of his influence on other players and on the game, the way he went about his business uh, comes in at number 11 after being number six on our list of uh, top 50 greatest American foosball players. Number 11 here. In in singles, Mark. Mark, before you go, before you yeah. go, I want to defer my time to you, Mark. Go ahead. Oh, great, thank you. Uh, and I want to get to Dave as quick as possible, so this is going to be good. <laughs> but so when I, when I started playing, there was three heroes, right? And there were three different classes of players. There was Lafredo, there was Murray, and there was Spear. And you could call my, me and my group of friends. You know, Murray was on the poster, and Lafredo was a myth, but Spear was a legend. And, and they were totally different. And for all we knew, because we're a bunch of kids, high school kids, we didn't know if these guys loved each other or hated each other. We had no idea. Like We didn't really know. But in our minds, they represented three categories of persona. And Lafredo was the super talent. And Spear was like, a, like on fire. It was a ball of fire. And Tom represented that stoic, uh, uh, to, you know, could not stress in our minds. Tom was a um, was a robot. He was an android, like unflappable. And we we um, wanted we wanted to be these guys, and we wanted to emulate these guys. We wanted to take pieces of them. And so, what I believe about what I believe about Kaiser, and what I believe about Doug Furry, I got to see up close watching Spear play. And Spear had this thing where he was not going to in the in the very early '90s, late '80s. He had this thing where he was not going to respond, react to anything you did. If any, he, he had, was so well-practiced and so mechanical about what he did. And, and like, it was just brilliant to watch the mastery of him play at that level when he was still pretty much in his prime. And it was so rewarding to see him win against uh, Terry Moore when you expected Tom Spear to lose that match. Uh, so there is something to be said about that. It's a whole different type of bias than admitting to. His contribution to the game, but it's also the style and the effectiveness of it and the simplicity of it. Like the purest form of foosball. The purest form of mechanics. This whole idea of only having... He had really two passes. And it was an uh, up and a down that went from the same spot. And you had people doing all kinds... It was like the, almost the opposite of t Tony Spriderman's five bar. Almost the opposite. Like Tony Spriderman's five, uh, five bar is some fifth dimension thing that has... A hundred different types of ways to kill you with five bar shots and, you know, 30 different ways to go bounce off the wall, all these different things. And you get the opposite of that, which is Tom Spear, who's won world championships passing in two locations from the same spot. And 
like befuddling people. Like Terry Moore will tell you right now, the best five bar he's ever played against is Tom Spear. And most people from the 90s will tell you it's Terry Moore. And that's how great Tom Spear was. And I'll just say one last thing about Tom Spear. There's a, I love this great documentary. It's, it's called Free Solo. If you haven't seen it, it's a guy named Alex Honnold who climbs El Capitan with um, no rope or anything. He climbs the whole damn thing. And when they do a, when they do a, uh, they do a brain test on him, they find out that certain stimuli, he doesn't react to it. Now, most of us who play competitively at a high level, we have to deal with our demons. We have to deal with our stress. We have to manage it. And that's part of becoming a champion, in my opinion. Being a champion and a master, in my opinion, is your ability to overcome those things. And then you get guys, I think, like Tom Spear and Alex Honnold, who are on a different level, who have a something inside their brain chemistry, the way they're, the way they're um, wired or the way they're able to control that. It's just like they're humming along and their level of execution isn't going to go up or down when the pressure's on. You have to, it's going to happen to you. It's not going to happen to them. So if you, you have to beat them. They're going to go where they want to go and they're going to do it how they want to do it. And you have to go that extra mile to beat them. That was the steady presence. That's Tom Spear. That was his greatness. And that's why you expected him every time he, he, for the same reason, Johnny Horton had people following him around when he was yelling his brains out. Tom Spear had people following, following him around and he wasn't saying a word the entire time. And Tom Spear is one of my favorites. And that's my whole thing on Tom Spear. Please, Dave, take over for me. Wow, that was a lot. But I have to agree with what you said. Um, I would say, uh, I'm going to keep it a little shorter, but uh, I would say, in my opinion, probably the smartest, most disciplined, controlled, methodical player that I have ever seen in all the years I've played. And I don't even know if it's close. I mean, all those things I just mentioned, just just uh, technician on the table. Um, as far as the five bar, I, in my opinion, one of the probably two best five bars of all time. Um, Tony's flashy five bar, which is also just as effective. But Spear had a nuance to his five bar. And you might say he only did two passes, but that's not really accurate. Um, he did a completely different series in the 70s than he did over on TS. I've seen him pass on the front, on the far side, on the near side. He can do every pass. Um, and really what he does is he controls the tempo of how he's moving the ball around and then just waits for you to make a mistake. And he's so smart and controlled. I mean, you sometimes you just feel helpless trying to block his five bar. It's just that good. Um, so, yeah, I just I have I've just I've got tons of respect for him as a player, and uh, he's always been one of my favorite players just because he is so smart and so good. Um, and I'm sure there's more I could say, but I'll keep it short. And. Um... And I'll just uh, finish up, obviously. I, I just want to say this. Uh, again, this is our family. Foosball is our family. There's 1,500 of us. I think active, maybe 2,000 active, right? Um, and we meet each other, spend money to go to these things and talk to each other, hang out. Please, I implore you, when you go to these tournaments, ask how somebody's doing. Check in with them. Mm -hmm. Just be there for them. And ask how things are. And, and non-judgmentally, because... If we consider ourselves a foosball family, if we consider ourselves this weird, random thing that we do, which nobody else does, it's really weird that we do this, but we <laughs> love it. We love each other. We love the sport. We got to look out for each other. So just reach out every now and then and say, hey, how's it going? Tom's yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, you know, from a commentator's point of view, um, Tom, 
Tom was different, right? Um, I really, when I first came on the scene in 93, he was around here and there. And then 94, of course, where he really, you know, exploded and, and won that. But he was different. And like Mark said, you know, he was such a magnetic player, despite the fact he wasn't Johnny Horton. He was the anti-Johnny Horton, if anything. Mm -hmm. um, but you still couldn't take your eyes off of him, uh, both on and off the table. So compelling, so so magnetic. Uh, and from a commentator's point of view, one of my biggest thrills in the history of my career is that 1994 singles event when he we watched him go through it. We watched him playing and we're thinking, there's no way this uh -huh. guy, after everything, can can win this. And then he beats the man at the time. Terry Moore uh -huh. was the man, right? He was, uh -huh. you know, Lafredo was great. Everybody else was great. But Terry Moore was the best player in the world in 1994. And so for Tom to overcome that and win it and then have Colorado, all the players from Colorado, lift him up on their shoulders and uh, just an amazing moment. ESPN was there. I mean, it was a perfect storm um, for Tom Spear. And of course, as Adam, you said it so beautifully. You know, not that we could always go back and say, if we had have said hello to Tom or asked him how he was doing, things would have been different. Um, our hearts are always going out to Mr. Spear, who continues to live on the streets of Denver. And um, I just know each and every time I would see him, he would have warm words for me. He would have some sort of special bit of advice. He was very cogent with me, very down to earth really had nothing but wonderful things to say about me coming in first two or three years of my career. And I cared about what these top players thought of what I was doing. I really cared, right? Um, and it took Lafredo about 10 years before he said a nice word to me. But Tom Spear very early on was very kind and very supportive and, and, and told me how much he enjoyed what I was doing. And I have nothing but warm feelings for this man. And he is now where he wants to be and continues to, to be okay. Um, but an amazing individual, an amazing singles player. And despite um, not a lot of numbers, um, there's no question that he is a, a, on the fringes of being a top 10 all-time singles player and very well maybe should be on that top 10 list. The great hey, Tom Spear. Hey, Jim. 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 Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing I'd like to say about uh, Tom, too, is that really impresses me about him is um, there's very few players that are successful over multiple eras. And Spears, one of the few that he was dominant in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And then when he won his last world singles title uh, in 94, uh, he never played singles again after that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. That's never right. One more after that, but he stopped playing. He decided he, he was going to quit playing singles. He huh. might be like, besides, I think, uh, besides Todd, is he the only person on this list that has a major singles title in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? I think he's the only one on the list with the 70s, 80s, and 90s major single title, right? There is, there's another one that will be there's coming up one. in 10. Yeah. One okay, more. okay, okay, okay. Mm. Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up, Dave. It's almost, I remember, it's all coming back, him saying he's retiring as the champ. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's it. And who knows? I again. mean, yeah. who knows what he could have done after... Yeah, it leaves a lot of question open to that. Interesting. Well, guys, we certainly um, landed on some big names here tonight. When you're talking about names like Spear and Furry and Lafredo and and Simon and Marez, you're, you're talking about uh, truly some of the greats of the game, no question about it. And in the singles format, which is a completely different thing, you know that, Dave, um, It's there's, there's forward, there's goalie, and there's singles, which is a different thing. I think we're starting to see 
these pure singles players. Yeah, they were great in doubles, great do- forwards, great goalies, but an understanding of what singles foosball really is um, as we get into this top 15 and now into the top 10 moving forward. I just think singles for me is so demanding and so taxing. And it's always because fine. you suck. Well, you know what? <laughs> oh, Eat a bag of you know what? <laughs> um, there's some truth to that. I mean, I, I gave up foosball three years after I started playing. So, you know, where you can go with that, Adam. But the point being is this. <laughs> like, you see it all the time, right? It is so demanding and so exhausting and so taxing, especially at the highest levels, that I'm surprised, I'm surprised more people don't quit. I think, I mean, quit playing singles. More people don't quit play. And you do see a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people play singles because it's part of their package or was part of their package. You get a package deal, singles in there, but you would be stunned how many people just forfeit it out. And it's because of all the drain it takes on you mentally and physically. And if, if, unless you're like totally loaded on caffeine or other types of stuff, usually people are just like forsake singles mm. and just focus on doubles. That's the reality but, of it. I mean, go ahead, Adam. But but to that point though, so I mean, somebody that we could be talking about that just kind of stopped, that was on this list lower was Lewis Cartwright, right? He, yeah, there was a ceiling for him that he could have kept going, but he was just like he 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 moved into goalie land. Well, Lewis, the way Lewis just will describe that is this: Lewis will say that he stopped practicing, which is another oh. way of saying mm-hmm. I don't have the endurance or mental. Yeah. Because look, when you play single at the high singles at the highest levels, mm-hmm. these guys have a book of skills and a book of experience to get past the first few rounds. And then it's like, did you do your homework on Lafredo? Did you do your homework on T-Mac? Or what is Tony working on? And you got to get to these, like, the whatever it is, the, the you know, the close, the fifth to fourth and fourth to third rounds of singles based on your historical knowledge of the person you're playing and your recent homework. And all that is, like, very, very difficult to do. Or are you just going to, like, leave Go ahead. I don't know if I'm no, I was, I was waiting for you. I mean, yeah, yeah. you're on fire tonight, Mark, no doubt about it. <laughs> no, no, but that's, I, I, what, that's what makes some of these um, you know, like doubles and near triples of the 1990s so incredible uh, is because these top players, Terry Moore, Todd Lafredo, these other players who were playing everything, right, um, were going deep in everything, sometimes tripling. And that meant playing 10 plus matches in each event sometimes, maybe not mix so much, but certainly singles and doubles where it is, it is. How do you stay focused? How do you stay physically prepared to play that many matches during the course of a weekend? And, and you were talking about players who sort of stopped playing singles. Well, we got one with us here tonight in Dave Gummitson who really focused on doubles and it resulted in, in the three world championships with Tracy McMillan and, and national championships, multiple more national championships, et cetera, because Dave, chose to focus on playing forward play doubles with uh, tracy mcmillan um and so it's happened a few times and it's understandable like you say mark why that would occur a good analogy though is a good analogy just to harken back is lewis cartwright he's so great he's so great that he without practice and i don't know what year is it that he loses to tony was that oh one what year does he get beat by tony in singles oh to three yeah lost in the finals of oh three yep so this is a fact Lewis goes to a couple of weekly draws three weeks before the world championships, plays almost zero singles. So he's practicing for doubles and he plays 03 in singles and he smashes everybody and he wins the winner's bracket. But there's no way in hell. I think Tony six straights him. I think Tony beats him in like 20 minutes and six straight. There's no way in hell he's going to be Tony. And so you see me uh, talking about this duplicity. So great that he could still beat all these players and get to the clutch and make the match ball and manage the stress and then get to someone like Tony and Tony obliterates him. 
And that's the difference between a Lewis Cartwright that's practiced all year long, has been taking notes, has played Tony multiple times, and is ready to face Tony, and a difference between a great, incredible champion without practice, doing what he needs to do to get to a final, and then running into a wall he has no chance of climbing. Yeah, and that was during Cartwright's doubles period as well, when he wasn't playing a lot of singles. Really, that was the only right. uh, during uh, that uh, time period as well, during the early 2000s. But but he was able to do it, uh, again, a testament to his ability, his his early training, et cetera, because he didn't practice for it. No, he just kind of got there and then got steamrolled by the hottest young player uh, maybe that we'd ever seen. So, <clears throat> Well, I have to say, guys, that uh, 15 through 11 – was was fantastic. There was some some amazing uh, amazing moments here, um, and I have to say, that's just speaking from a fan, um, number thirteen and number eleven surprised me. I really thought those guys were going to be higher on the list. I was I was very surprised to see Lafredo at thirteen. Very surprised to see Tom Spear outside the top ten. Very surprised. So how you guys did that, I have no idea. Yeah, it's again a testament to just how tough the uh, the list was to put together. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I want to say that uh, when I said Lewis was climbing over a wall, Adam laughed, and because he's fat shaming Lewis right now. <laughs> Adam is fat shaming Lewis right. Look at him smiling. <laughs> oh, you said wall. I thought you said wall of cheese. I was like, there's no way he couldn't get over that. I told you. I told you. Adam, you're a horrible human being. Oh, Are you kidding me? You know the name of my autobiography is Fistful of Cheese, the Adam Gilson story? Don't yeah, even start that. with me. Yeah. Are you, Jim's a heard fist, that. A, a fistful of cheese. Yeah. That is gross. It's good. Man. It's really well written. I think it was a ghost writer, but it, it, and, and the plot really had a lot of holes in it. But Yeah, um, well, you know. Dude. Are we making Swiss cheese jokes, Jim? Where's, where's that cheese wow. come from? From where? Where's where's the fist Wait, to get no, there? No, Curds and Way. It's yeah, Curds and Way always. Jim's making Jim's making cheese puns, and I camembert it. Oh, <laughs> oh, camembert. Wow. oh my god! It's where's so my sound effects? Oh, on that note, Tom. <laughs> um, a lot of fun, though, guys. I can't believe it. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's, <laughs> that's really. It's not even making any, sense. Any way you slice it, that was bad. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, again, you know, Wait, Dave, 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 Dave was saying what? Dave? Dave's the it's king of the punsters. <laughs> not too sharp. Are you? Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> I'm, extra, I'm extra sharp. Who do you mean? Oh, oh my goodness, Dave! Get the show back on the track here. What's what's going on? What, we, <laughs> oh, that oh, that's wait. Me, what sorry. is going on? We, we, no, we let's tell everybody though, because the next two uh, the next two Sundays we're not going to be doing this. Right. We're taking a pause because of holidays. Right. Yes, so Christmas and New Year's happen to fall on Sundays. So uh, we are we are not going to be live uh, next Sunday or the Sunday after. And yes, we're going to be counting down the rest of this list. That would be. 10 to 1 over two weeks in 2023. So uh, January 8th is the first time we're back uh, to to do this uh, live. And uh, in the meantime, we do have, um, well, at least a Christmas special <laughs> we're working on right now. And uh, with some cooperation, Jim, uh, we hopefully will have a, a very interesting uh, episode for you next week that is all Christmas-based, well, foosball Christmas-based, I should say. Um, but uh, we should I'll break the why. top 10 up into 10 separate episodes and drag this thing on into the summer. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, we got to do the top, the top 15 uh, lady singles players as well. Uh, yes. I think coming up here shortly. Yep. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun for sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. That's going to be awesome. So Dave, what, uh, I'm going to start with you when it comes to, uh, the holidays, what do you got planned? Are you traveling uh, or is it family? What's going on? 
just just time with family. I work in retail, so I can't really go anywhere. Oh, right. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. This is this is like uh, tax season for an accountant for you. Yeah, or worse. Or worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time out because, of course, you must have. Uh, uh, well, at this point, uh, you're just ready to just just cash it in. Pardon the pun. But um, so so, Dave, what uh, what else would you like to, to share with us tonight when it comes to uh, 2023? Anything you want to look forward to when it comes to foosball? Uh, you know, I'm actually planning on going to the Vegas tournament just for the fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love that, dude. Cool. Nice. So I'm 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 planning on being there. Um, that'll be practiced. <laughs> Are you, I know you're going to be there to have fun. Are you going to play an event? Are you going to um, have fun and get shit-faced with me and start fires? What's your plan, Dave? Uh, I haven't decided yet. All right. I'm, excited. Yeah. I'm coming to see you, Dave. Well, you know, Dave, because Mark has beat uh, Todd Lafredo once, so that's yeah. probably a good, a good partner for you. Oh, yeah. did I beat him one time. I believe he beat <laughs> Steve Simon once as well. Never beat um, Steve Simon. No, never did. That was Steve, at the buffet. Steve, Steve doesn't doesn't generally play, but you know we're down to our top ten. And, you know, as much as I think Todd Lafredo should have been higher, yeah, mm-hmm. sitting at number thirteen, I really feel like you know, in my opinion, he was number six. When you look at the top ten that's coming up, I'm not sure who you kick out of there. Um, that's how good yeah. this top ten list is uh, as we as we counted down to the final top ten uh, greatest singles players in the history of the American Tour here uh, after our two week hiatus for Christmas and New Year, which both fall on Sunday uh, this year. So. Uh, but it's going to be fun counting them down. Mark, mm-hmm. I think your idea of stretching it out to over 10 weeks is is a really poor one. I just wanted <laughs> to get that on the record. Um, but I do look forward to to the five and the five of the next couple of shows. And uh, Jim, uh, while we're at it, uh, what what are you looking forward to most in 2023 and what's up for the holidays? <clears throat> I, I, too, I, too, am in, in retail to some degree, so I will not be leaving town. We're going to spend town time here in, in beautiful 32 degree and below uh, Durango. We have not seen above freezing in almost a week now. Wow. Uh, the mornings are single digit or below a little bit. Um, but that's what you get. To, uh, it's still sunny. It's, you know, it's amazing, you know, having grown up in California, in Southern California. Some of our days here are sunny and 23 degrees, yeah. which is a little strange. The sun is out all day long. Oh, all well. day long. And it's 23 degrees, uh, so not a cloud in the sky. Uh, but when you're up at almost 7,000 feet, that's just how it is. And so we're going to spend time here with the kids uh, cool. and the family uh, here in Durango um, for, for Christmas. And then, of course, New Year's as well. So, And Mark, i gotta got to ask you, of course, what's up for the holidays and what do you look forward to in 2023? I know you're forced to ask me, Tom. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it, uh, okay. keep staying home, man. In my little suburb south of Chicago, we're... Uh, Hanging out and doing, you know, I got twin nine-year-old girls. It's very, very Christmassy around here. Today, I was the guest conductor. So we had, a, there was a bid. And whoever won the bid uh, got to be the conductor for the choir. Oh. And it was a big event, hundreds of people. And I got in front of a bunch of people and waved my hands around and did a thing. <laughs> and, had a, and so that was, um, that was awesome, lovely. Christmas is a very special thing with nine-year-olds. So just camped out, not doing much. 2023, looking forward to Going through the rest of this list with you guys, it's been really fun to be back on the show doing stuff with you. So that's uh, that's what I'm looking forward to for 2023 right now. That is, stuff. that is the correct answer. Uh, so, <laughs> Adam, what about you? Holidays? Yeah. 2023. Yeah, Mark, Mark, we flipped the coin and, well, 
so you're back. But the cool thing is, is that you have the you're blurring your white background, and I think that's still really awesome that you did that. Now, why don't you take that bun clip on and hand it to me so I could wear it sometimes too, chump? Good, good one. So uh, for the holidays, I'm going to be reflecting on this, and this is something that I think we're going to be talking about a lot more next year. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about the tectonic shift that's been happening in foosball since the pandemic started. And I'm thinking about all the different things that have been occurring and all the different new formats and all the different ways that people are just examining the time that they spend with their foosball family and how that might come to a head in different ways in 2023. Um, yes, I'm going to have dinner uh, with my my in-laws and I'm going to just have great meals and have some good time. But the vast majority of the time, I'm going to be thinking about what foosball is going to be with the 1,500 of us across the country in the United States. Mazel tov. Wow. I do mm. want to tease one thing on that note. I want to tease one thing. And it's, uh, I did a bunch of work. I've, I've had a journey with foosball over the past two years that came to a head with a lot of stuff I was doing that very few people had a ton of visibility to. Jim had some snippets of visibility because of our working relationship. I think Adam had snippets of visibility. But my, my process at a professional level, when, I'm, when I integrate what I do professionally with foosball is not to talk a ton about it because I'm that's not my thing. There's no reason to talk a ton about it. And it's come to a spot now where describing some of that stuff may be relevant for other activity around foosball. I will just say that the work I was doing is at a high, at a high level with people with a lot of money that were look, taking a very serious look at foosball. And now maybe coming into next year, 2023, maybe an appropriate time to disclose what that work was. I don't want to... Um, I don't want to portend that there's a magnificent, amazing things to happen about foosball because when it comes down to it, I'm really not, that's not, I'm, it's not my thing. I don't want to um, create any hype. That's not what this is about. Anyway, there's some work, some work I did and it may be appropriate next year to talk about it on this show. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Mark, um, for all the work you've done over the last couple of years and continue to do. Um, for me, and, I, and, and Tommy didn't ask me, and I, but maybe you did, and I, I didn't I did. complete my thoughts. <laughs> but moving, uh, looking ahead at uh, 2023, for me, it's about infrastructure. And we've talked about it here on the show. You mm -hmm. may remember our discussion with Donald Wilson of the USGSO. Um, there needs to be structure. Mark is going to do. Mark is so capable. He can go out and, and he can get his foot in a ball in in a, in a boardroom. He can he can contact people of importance and and um and and potential um, backing of our sport. <clears throat> but beyond that, before we can really move forward on a lot of projects, we need to have infrastructure, club system, just some sort of format, some sort of system where we can all work together. Promoters can work together. The players can work together. Um, executives can be a part of this from various com companies, but we've talked about it here. Infrastructure has to come before almost anything. And in some mm -hmm. ways we may have to break some things down before we can build them back up. So for me, looking ahead at 2023, I hope finally we can um, at the very least implement the club system to begin to give us some infrastructure. Adam? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is this is all part of another conversation, right, Jim? I mean, yeah. it's a whole other series, it's a whole other show. But when we talk about this, it's the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room because and I, we, we covered this. I covered this with you, and I was very fortunate to do so last year when I went to, what was my first tournament with Inside Nationals, right? 
there was a boatload of people there. There continued to be a boatload of people every time we went to these tournaments. Um, and then I think that we can agree that it started slacking off because the enthusiasm gap started waning, which is mm. fine. How do we buttress that? How do we make that better? Well, that's a conversation to be had. Yeah, and we need to have that conversation right here, hopefully with a, a roundtable of people that um, that have impact and have uh, opinions about where we can go. And I and I echo your uh, your hopes for 2023 that foosball uh, grows even further and uh, we see some some uh, remarkable changes. Uh, hopefully. And, and before we, we we sign off here, um, Tom, what do you what are you doing? Oh, uh, holiday so, wise, uh, holiday yeah. wise, you know Tom? what? It's, this is really unusual from my job, but uh, I'll be uh, out of the studio for 13 days. 13 days straight. Yeah. Wow! Congratulations. So, what are you gonna awesome. do? So I'm gonna tear down the studio. Yeah, you're not oh, cool. <laughs> no, it's I'm uh, oh. rebuilding. Uh, I have a few things that are coming in to uh, to uh, embellish uh, the studio, but I have to empty out the room and, and start over again. But 13 days is maybe enough time. We'll see. Hey guys, by the way, I have and I have I've neglected to say anything about it so far tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and do so whether I'm allowed to or not. But the 2023 Hall of Fame balloting has been completed and the winners have been announced, at least mm -hmm. to the Hall of Fame committee. Wow. I don't know if it's been released publicly, but <clears throat> and many of you know how strongly I have um, kind of lobbied for one player to get in. <clears throat> and he did. Uh, Scotty Weidman. Oh, yes. Oh, good. Yes. Be in the Hall of Saw Fame that. along with a woman from the late uh, 80s on the Tornado Tour named Gina Smith. Um, who won, I think, a world championship or two. Uh, it's, well, one of those, I think, was with Steve Murray. I'll have to look her up. But Scotty Weidman. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Hey, if I'm not supposed to announce it, Hall of Fame committee, I apologize. <laughs> no, you're okay, Jim. You're okay. Put it anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as, they, as they say in uh, The Princess Bride, is the Brute Squad. No, oh, never mind. That, that, would, that was way better in my head. Oh, that failed. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> After you. <laughs> So, uh, anything else that you guys want to add, Dave? You want to you want to pile on the pile on this uh, this list? No, I got to go to bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let me take I'm the just move you down on my list, uh, Dave. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Dave, I look forward to seeing you at the Hall of Fame Classic when oh, we yeah. will be inducting Scotty Weidman and Gina Smith. Look forward to seeing you there, playing and hanging out and. And hanging out with Mark, apparently, and having a heck of a good time. At least exactly. that's one of your, one By the of way, your options, Dave's apparently. Dave's hot and cold on me. Dave's hot and cold on me. He'll, he'll take a drink from me. He doesn't care. <laughs> I love you, Dave. of you. Just, and we miss your puns, buddy. We, we do miss your puns. I look forward to all 80 of them that I'll experience when I'm in Vegas. 26 of which will be really good. Um, and so look forward to that as well. Uh, hey guys, I want all of you, uh, everybody out there watching and everybody here, of course, to have a great holiday season, uh, spend time with your family, spend time with your foosball family next year. I thought what Adam said earlier was, was beautiful. Um, because you know, when you look at the average age of uh, the American foosball player, yeah. um, let's make sure we value every second we have with our friends out on the tour. Great sentiment. And with that, uh, Dave, Jim, Mark, Adam, Merry Christmas and a happy new year. All right. And uh, Merry Christmas. thank you. And and thank you everybody on Twitch for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for you, for uh, for checking it out tonight. You rock. <laughs> With enthusiasm, Adam. With enthusiasm. A Adam's you cell rock. phone number is 802. Please send any complaints <laughs> bad only to Adam Gilson. I've never been doxxed before. 
What a, what, a, what a time for me. Thank you, Mark, for somebody who blurs their white background. Mm. Well, I'll see y'all in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Later, guys. Foos Talk Live. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and Happy Holidays from all of us right here. Foosball tournaments are everywhere. Foos Talk Live proudly presents a weekly update of events near you with the Foos Talk Live Tournament Beat. Here's what's up. We start the new year off right with the 716 Foosball Club. They proudly present the 6th Annual Foosball Tournament, January 7th, 2023, at Bison Billiards Transit Road in Williamsville, New York. The Thunderdome No Pro Tampa, January 6th through January 8th, Holiday in Clearwater, Florida. Then it's the 2023 Kentucky State Tour kickoff, February 1st through the 5th, Clarion Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. It's the Moneyball Northwest Foosball Tournament, February 16th through the 19th at the Hyatt Regency, Portland, Oregon. It's the $5,000 DFW Championships of Foosball, February 17th through 19th, Carrollton Chop Shop Sports Garage, Carrollton, Texas. The Wisconsin State Championship is March 16th through the 19th at Mad Apple Billiards, Appleton, Wisconsin. The 2023 Hall of Fame Classic, taking place April 12th through the 16th at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Tornado Championships, August 30th through the 4th, 2023, at the Clarion Hotel, Lexington, Kentucky. Each week, we do our best to give you the most up-to-date listing of foosball tournaments near you. If you have an event you'd like to add, send us all the details to info at foosballradio.com. Tune in every week for the Booze Talk Live Tournament Beat. Booze Talk Live is a product of Foosball Radio. With gratitude, we recognize our Foosball Radio Patreons, our Foos Talk Live sponsor, original-leonhart-usa.com. And thanks to InsideFoos.com for use of their audio during the show. Tune in again next week for another episode of Foos Talk Live. In the meantime, we'll see you foosin'.